morning about something Mike has just touched on. The idea that Jesus actually loves and accepts people and wants to be with people. And that as we begin to believe that and see that, that it changes the way we are, changes the way we actually do what we do, changes the way we worship, changes even the way that we do church, you know. So uh, we're going to be looking at Luke 15 again this morning, which we've been looking at over the last few weeks, this idea of two sons relating to their father. And what this story reveals to us is the true nature of God our Father. Now, why is it so important that we know what God is really like? And I'm going to say because man-made religion can only give us a God like us. I'll say that again. Man-made religion can only give us a God like us. And that's because if you look at us, really, by ourselves, we only love the people who love us. We only bless those who bless us. How many people here have got presents all lined up to give to their enemies at Christmas? <laughs> no? Nobody? You're not going to give presents to your enemies? <laughs> I hope they're not your enemies, bro. But so God, you see, he's a God who loves his enemies. And so he just loves to give and give and give. So out of our natural thinking, when we just try and make God or try and imagine God from our own minds, the trouble is, in the natural, man is always striving. We're always looking to be justified. We're looking to get better. We're looking to try and improve ourselves. And so the God that comes out of that mind is a God who's never satisfied. The God who's never satisfied. And I remember growing up in church thinking, gosh, I, I, I've got to do more. I must do more. Because he never seemed to be satisfied. Because everything I heard was telling me that I needed to apologize to him again. And again. And say sorry again. And now do it again. He was never satisfied. You see, he wasn't a God of rest. And that's what comes out of man religion. A God made in your own image. And if you make a God out of that sort of image, he'll never be content. And he'll always be looking for something. So during the midweek study, we were looking at this man, Saul of Tarsus, on the road to Damascus. Who remembers that man on the road to Damascus? We're all on the road to Damascus. Isn't that right, Michael? Praise the Lord. So Saul of Tarsus, he's going along, and Jesus appears to him and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then he said something interesting. He said, it's hard to kick against the goads, Saul, isn't it? Little phrase there, you know. And as we looked at that, we really felt it was the Holy Spirit giving Saul a little word of knowledge. It was God saying to him, I know what's going on in your heart. Do you know that every person sitting here this morning, God knows what's going on in your heart. Isn't that beautiful? And he knows your questions and he knows where you're struggling and he accepts you, loves you. And actually, as you more and more receive his love and acceptance, all those questions will be answered, you know. So what the Lord's saying to Saul of Tarsus, hard to kick against the goads. A goad was like a sharp stick that you uh, prodded cattle with to get them to go in the direction you want them to go, you know. And so what he was saying was, the Holy Spirit is in your life bringing conviction. Saul was under conviction. Something about... Something was disturbed in him and he was reacting against it, you know. Perhaps when he watched Stephen being stoned to death, he was upset and he didn't know why he was upset. And maybe he thought he'd try and purge that feeling by arresting more Christians. And so he's on his way to arrest more Christians and, and, and God's saying to him, that's me in you that's upset. <laughs> that's me, I'm doing that. Don't be kicking against that. That feeling you're beginning to feel, that's me. And so Saul gets this wonderful revelation. And what he begins to, I guess, understand then is that the God you worship, you'll become like. 
The God you worship, you'll become like. And maybe Saul, as he watched Stephen die, he thought, my God, what a harsh person I'm becoming. What a hard, judgmental person I'm becoming. Maybe he was shocked at himself. I don't know. But certainly it's true that whatever you think God's like, if you begin to worship a God like that, you'll become like that. That's why the Bible says, be very, very careful how your heart believes. Guard that believing heart because out of it flows your life. You will be what you believe. So guess what? If you believe God's a hard God, that's the way you're going to be. Give the greatest care to what you believe. So if you believe that God is primarily angry at people over their sin and demands that unless they do something about their sin, that they're going to suffer the consequences of his anger, then you're going to live your life like that sort of person. You're always going to be angry at people about their sin. And you know, many Christians are really angry at the world about their sin. You see it all over Facebook and social media. Christians get really angry at the world about their sin. And I was thinking about that during the week, and I remember the testimony of a pastor I went to hear once. He was in San Francisco, and this man said that uh, during a, a, a move of the Spirit in his church, a lot of hell's angels came to Christ. And so suddenly his church filled up with all these biker types and all these guys, you know. And around the edge of the church was all these people who related to them, who, who didn't know Christ yet, but they were curious. They were coming, you know, and they were hanging around the door and sticking their nose in, you know. And some of these people uh, began to smoke things, maybe that you shouldn't be smoking in church. <laughs> and the pastor began to get really annoyed at this, you know. And uh, he got to get rid of it. He said, you can't do that in church, you know. And then the Lord spoke to him and said something. And I never forget what he said. The Holy Spirit, he said, spoke to him and said this. Dogs bark, cats meow, sinners sin. What's your problem? Dogs bark, cats meow, Sinner's sin. What's your problem? <laughs> That's very interesting, you see. Because inherent in that statement is the truth that you, you, you will be as you believe yourself to be. You're a slave to what you've believed. You are a slave to what you've believed. And so there's no point asking people to change their behavior before their belief has changed. And so that's what the Holy Spirit's done. He's coming to change our belief. You know, for years in church, I was told to clean up my behavior. And listen, you're not trying a wee bit harder to be a wee bit holier. Try this, try that, pray more, give more, go to more meetings, do, 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 do. You cannot change behavior before believing. Believing has to change first. And that's sort of been the theme of the last few weeks. That the Lord's showing us through the story of the two sons who relate to their father through what they do is that grace comes before repentance. Revelation comes before repentance. God changes what you believe in your heart. And it's only then in fact, that change comes in your life. So, as we've been seeing over the last few weeks, you know, that's what the Lord is doing. He's saying to Saul, stop resisting my spirit. Grace comes before repentance. And, uh, and I remember growing up in church for many years where that was not spoken really, and we were sort of exhorted to try and do better. And when people don't have a revelation of the goodness of God, you know, if I find that my heart can't change to believe that God is good, what sometimes happens is people then try and use another force, not love, another force. I'm just remembering now, when I was Shama's age, I won a prize in school. I've never won any prize in Shama except this one, right? And it was for reading. And the prize was a little book called Aesop's Fables. Ever heard of Aesop's yeah, Fables, yeah. right? I remember two stories in the book, but one was a bet between the sun and the wind yeah. as to who was the strongest. Do you remember that story? Yeah. And the wind was really boasting, I'm the strongest, you know? 
And so he made a bet with his son. He said, you see that man walking down the street there? Let's see who's strong enough to get his coat off. I'll go first. And so the wind began to blow and blow and blow. And the more he blown, that's not right, is it? The more he blew, <laughs> the man just sort of wrapped his coat tighter around him and tighter. Till eventually the wind blew him into the, into the ditch and he just kept his coat tightly around him. And then the wind was exhausted and said to the sun, you have a go. The sun came out and he looked a bit like Alicia, you know, and he smiled, <laughs> and he smiled, smiled, smiled. And the man went, whoo, and he took his coat off. No, we preach love. We preach Christ here because for years and years, the force that people used, maybe on me, maybe on you, to try and get our coat off, to try and change us, was called guilt. Has anybody ever put guilt on you? Oh, come on, you know. It was all the subliminal message behind every message from the pulpit was, so given God's done all this, what are you going to do? It was guilt. And you know what? Guilt to a certain extent will make you change your behavior. But there's no power in guilt to change. There's no lasting change. There's no lasting change. It might make you enough to clean yourself up when you come to church. But back at home, it's not going to work. <coughs> guilt is not strong enough. Come on. Who's tried guilt for years? Come on. You've all tried guilt. I bet you've grown up in the church. You've had a dose full of guilt. Come on. Guilt is not powerful enough to change us. The only thing that's going to change our behavior is a change in our belief. It's so beautiful. And so Saul of Tarsus is, is, a, is a wonderful example of that, you know. Because he was a man who knew the law, but he didn't know the gospel. And all the law will do is tell you that you're not good enough. It shows you your need. But it does no power in it to change you. So Saul was keep thinking, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough. And the only relief you could get from the guilt was to find somebody who was even worse than him. So I'll do something about you. I'll sort you out because I might not be good enough, but you're worse. So I'll throw you in jail. <laughs> no relief for the guilty person except to point the finger. Have you noticed people pointing fingers? What about him? What about her? What about them? You know, that's the only relief people have from guilt. You know, I, I, I meet an awful lot of angry people. And it's disappointing to say angry Christians as well. I know more and more God said to them, you can be like that too. Uh, show love. It's not you that they're angry at. They're just angry at life. When you haven't got the gospel of grace, when your heart's not in rest, you'll be angry about anything. And maybe I'm saying this this morning. Maybe you've had a bad week. Maybe somebody has blown up at you. Maybe somebody has said something to you very angry. Can I say it probably wasn't about you? Probably wasn't about you at all. Really, you know? They're just angry because they're frustrated. They're not in rest. Praise God. That's why we take our medicine. Praise the Lord. So the root of our behavior is what we're believing. So I used to say it like this. You, you can't... There's no point pruning a thorn bush thinking that if you prune it enough, it'll turn into a fig tree. <laughs> There's no point pruning back sin in your life thinking if you keep pruning enough, you'll turn into something else. You are the roots of what you have believed. So God's answer is to give you a new root. He'll give you a new source to your life. He'll say, I'll tell you who you are. If you listen, I'll tell you who you are. And if you believe me, you'll be who you are. Isn't that amazing? That's his way. Now our way is, no, 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 I'll do it, Lord. Just give me another couple of weeks. I'll get there. I'll be holier. Okay? I'll go to more meetings. I'll read my Bible more. I'll sing more. I'll give more. God says, no, no. If you believe what I'm saying, it'll be much easier. For my burden is easy and my yoke is light. I'm telling you that you're good in my sight. I'm telling you that you're accepted. Like that man, that, that drug dealer, he was on his knees thinking of all the people he'd hurt. You know, when you're a drug dealer, 
you hurt an awful lot of people. You destroy families, you destroy marriages. Now he was sitting in jail without a child. His own child's life was destroyed. And he was just grieving. And the Lord says, no, you're, you're good enough. I've accepted you. In fact, what the Lord said to him was, you're already forgiven, if I believe it right. You are already forgiven. And that broke that man. He was so full of the love of God, he became a new person. He became a new person. And that's the gospel. It's so beautiful. So Saul of Tarsus, he's a great, he's a great uh, example of that. You see, your behavior doesn't change till your believing changes. Do you know the reason? And this is a sad thing to say. I have seen myself and I've seen many other people in church for years and years and years. And really, if we're honest, haven't changed that much. That's a hard thing to say, isn't it? Hasn't changed that much. And now I see the reason for that. Because what changes you is when your believing changes. It's when your believing changes. And that's why all we do is preach about the good father, about his acceptance of us, about his fatherhood, about his generosity. Because when our hearts change, everything else changes, you know. So to say that you, you haven't changed much is to say basically you haven't grown much in your intimacy with the father. And that's what the Holy Spirit's doing right now. He wants to say, listen, set down your tools, come into the party. I want to love on you. I want to rejoice over you. Will you rejoice with me that you're good? Will you rejoice with me that my son's done everything necessary? Will you rejoice with me that I reconciled you to myself 2,000 years ago and that your sins are forgiven? Will you join the party that's on in heaven, you know? And when your heart, you know, I always think about the prodigal son. When did he repent? I think, you know, (laughs) if you look at my story, probably sometime during the party when he pinched himself 10 times and thought, this is real, this is real, <laughs> this is real. And maybe you come to church and you sit under the message of the grace of God again and again and again, and I just believe there comes a tipping point. There comes a tipping point when the Holy Spirit saying to you, this is real, this is real, this is true. This is not talking about Alicia, this is talking about you, this is talking about you, this is talking about me, you know. All your life you can sit there going, well, he's talking about somebody else. No, God loves you. He's a personal God, you see. That's why last week he said that grace isn't a thing. Grace is a person. The biggest influence in your life to date, no matter what you are from the age of five to the age of... (coughs) is not principles or rules, it's people. People remain the biggest influence in your life. God works through relationship. God works through persons. He doesn't work through principles. He doesn't work through laws. He works through personhood. He works through people. He's a real person, and he loves you, praise God. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So Jesus was saying, my goodness me. I think about Saul, you know. He then went to Damascus, and for three days and three nights, he didn't eat a thing. Imagine what he was thinking. Oh, my goodness. I have got it so wrong. So, so wrong. What is he going to do to me? What is this God going to do to me? Meanwhile, God's speaking to Ananias, a disciple in in Damascus, who's busy praying to God and telling him how bad this man Saul is. And God, you better do something about this man. And the Holy Spirit interrupts him and says, no, I'll tell you who he is. He's my chosen vessel. I'm going to lift you up, Ananias. You're going to see him from my perspective. He's accepted. He's forgiven. He's already forgiven. And you're the man to tell him. Whoa, Ananias, he was a good guy, wasn't he? He, he, You know, he's so full of the Holy Spirit. He went. He said two words to Saul. Brother Saul. And the scales fell from Saul's eyes. God hadn't come to judge him. He'd come to tell him he was accepted. He was forgiven. Saul radically changed what he was believing. What I'm saying to you this morning is your behavior will never change until your believing changes. And you know what? Saul had such a radical change in his believing 
that his behavior went off the scale. He changed so much in his behavior that even the church couldn't accept him. Even the church said, no, 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 not him. No, no, not him. Well, we all know him. We saw him kill Stephen, not him. He's not preaching. Tell him to clear off. They couldn't. Even the church couldn't accept. You know why that is? Because it's a sad, really, but radical change is not common. Radical change is not common. You need a radical gospel for radical change. You need the radical message of the fact that you have been reconciled. You have been forgiven. As far as God's concerned, he loves you like he loves himself. Radical gospel produces radical behavior. You begin to water that down, everything changes. Everything waters down. Praise God. To go back to our friend in San Francisco, when the Holy Spirit said to him, dogs bark, cats meow, sinners sin, what he was pointing out was, you were quite happy for those people to smoke that stuff in their own home or in their own neighborhood. But when they come to church, you want them to sort of stop here to clean up. In other words, you want them, you want them to appear like they're, like they're holy. That's not going to work. That's not the way it works. I accept those people the way they are. And when you think about Jesus, if you went out 2,000 years ago looking for Jesus in Jerusalem, where would you have found him most days? With sinners, tax collectors, publicans. He said, I come to those who need the message of acceptance. I come to the sick, those who need to know they're loved and accepted. I come to them, you know. And it's incredible. What's happened in 2,000 years, what's happened is in Jesus' day, he attracted the pub crowd and he repelled the religious and we have diluted the gospel so much that 2,000 years later we attract religious people and we repel the pub crowd. Do you see that? And that's what happens when you take a message about God's love for you and twist it into one about your love for him. The church empties. <laughs> Praise God. So why am I saying all this? Because if the Holy Spirit is showing us that grace comes first, that we're to love and accept people just the way they are, well then, holy gatherings are not places where the best behaved people are. They are gatherings where the radical love of God is there to accept everybody. Where the grace of God, the Spirit of God, fills the house. And you're full of people, all sorts of people, with all sorts of issues, and that's a holy gathering. Because God is there. Because he loves to be with people. And he loves especially to presence himself with those who need him, who are looking for him, who are looking to receive him. Praise God. I always think it's beautiful. The very first lesson, when God came and John wrote this, he said nobody had ever thought he'd be like this. Jesus blew everybody's mind about what God was like. Lesson number one, he was born in a dirty old stable. Children, do you know Jesus was born in a dirty old cave full of cow poo and sheep poo? The king of kings, the lord of lords. You'd think he'd be born in a palace. He was born in a stable. And you know what? That day, all over all the world, there was lots of holy buildings. The Jews thought that the temple was the holiest building in the world. That stable became the holiest building in the world. And it was full of sheep poo. So Thomas, me and you know what holiness smells like, don't we? <laughs> Jesus is here now, isn't he? He's here now, you know. And it, it's, oh, you know, it's so wonderful. You see, when we have a mindset, uh, a religious mindset, we think he lives in certain places, you know. And so sometimes people sort of put on their best behavior to come to church. I think you should put on your worst behavior to come yeah. to church. <laughs> Someone once said to me, it's not home, 
It's not home where you go and kick your shoes off, loosen your tie and be yourself. Is that not home? Well, together, in, is this not home for us, you know? So therefore we should be absolutely open, really, and just accept each other as we are. Now that acceptance, that's the power that changes us. It's not our trying to do better, trying to behave better. It's acceptance. And so really, what that means for the future, you know, that's up to the Holy Spirit. But I know that he is bringing us along on this journey so that we realize more and more how accepted we are. You see, you can't give what you won't receive. That's why I'm drinking deeply and singing this morning, oh Lord, now you're good, you're good, you're good, you're good, you're good, you're good, you're good. You're good enough to see past all of my problems and you see me as a son you speak to me as a son you know, we haven't even got to look 15 but i'll close with this remember that younger son the prodigal when he came home he had a plan and it sounded like a very good plan and you'll read it there from verse 18 and look 15 he says father here's what i'm going to say i'm going to say father i have sinned against you i'm no longer to be worthy to be called your son make me a servant and that sounds so pious and so holy and that's the deception of religion because that is a self-salvation message that's all that is. I will work my way into your life. I will work my way into your life. And the father wouldn't even listen to him. He didn't even speak to him. So get that coat on him, you know? And sometimes, you know, you can come in here in church on a Sunday and you're so riddled with a message of performance in the Word, you just got to stand there and worship for a while to let the waves just wash that out of your mind. All that transactional God business, all that, you're judged according to your performance. You just got to let be washed away, like that prisoner in that cell, where his cell was just full of light. All that was just washed away from him. Praise God. And that's what Jesus is saying. And so, you know, when the son came back, basically he was saying, I'll do this for you. And then you can't work your way into the house. Here's the gospel. He gave you the house, lock, stock and barrel. He said, you're my house. You're my house. You don't work your way into my house. Come and rejoice with us. Look, what has been lost is found. What is dead is alive. It's finished. It's done. Welcome to the party. Praise God. And that's why when we come to this table, and if you have your emblems, get them out, because when it comes to this table, isn't it amazing that God left us a table? You see, a table is an invitation. Come and eat. Come and receive. The table says, I'm the provider, you're the recipient. You do not come to this table in your own strength with your own record. You do not work your way to this table. This is a table which has been provided not by your obedience, not by your faith, not by your righteousness, but by the righteous obedience and faith of Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? It's like the gifts of the Spirit. This table is all about His love, His joy, His peace, his patience, his kindness, his goodness, his faithfulness, his gentleness, his self-control. When the father went out to the elder son, remember the elder son was saying, I'm not going into that party because I've done all these things here and you haven't blessed me yet. He was pointing to his record. And the father said, son, you need to get it. You need to understand everything I have is yours. You're always with me. You must enter into the joy, the joy of your father. And so he told them to leave his old I life behind. The I, you know what the word I is in Greek? Ego. Yeah. Yeah. You come to this table, you leave your ego behind. Yeah. It's not about you and your performance. You by yourself were never going to work your way to this table. <laughs> so he's done something about that. <laughs> he's wrapped you in himself. 
He's lifted you up. And now you need to believe that in order to receive that life and live that life. And believing is not your, even your work either. My goodness me, he's done everything, you know. Faith comes by hearing. That's why we connect the table to the gospel, praise God. So we're going to eat and drink together. And you know what? This life we're talking about, it's a life of provision being made for you in the day you're in, okay? So there's people here this morning and you have issues maybe in your physical body, you have issues in your mind, you have issues maybe of provision, you have issues in your family, there's people sick in your family. Jesus said, it is enough. Everything he did on the cross is enough to partake of his life. But he also said, live in the day you're in. My grace is sufficient for the day you're in. So we eat this for today. I'm thinking about my sister in a hotel in New Zealand. She's been there in quarantine now, halfway through her 14 days. I think it's driving her a bit mad. <laughs> so I lift up Maria uh, before you this morning, Father. And I just pray you'd bless her and keep her. Give her a revelation of yourself, how much you love her, that she's not in isolation from your Holy Spirit. Praise God. We remember all those who are sick today and those who are struggling, and we bless them in the mighty name of Jesus. And we say, sing, O barren woman. Sing. Sing. Because everything that's needed to be done for you has been done. Let's eat and drink together. Thank you for your body, Lord. Your broken body by which we are healed. Thank you for your shed blood.